This is the Media Week Industry Podcast from the people at mediaweek.com.au. Welcome to a new episode of Mercado and Manning, Media Week's weekly television podcast. I'm James Manning. Joining me this week, Andrew Mercado. Hello, Andrew. Hi, James. Uh, Interesting mix of programs this week. We've got a New Zealand production made for streaming TV, which it's finding its way to free to air. We've got a couple of very different documentaries and a sort of um, a sleeping hit it was originally, which has turned into a massive comedy show for um, Apple TV+. Plus. Yes, indeed. But we might start with the New Zealand production, Under the Vines, made originally for um, Acorn TV. And very, very cleverly purchased by the ABC to screen in a kind of a Saturday night double bill alongside a new series of The Larkins. So that's a really feel-good Saturday night on the ABC now. And I watched the first episode of Under the Vines and, you know, all I could think watching it was how delightful is Rebecca Gibney in it? (laughs) I mean, you know, she's made so many different TV series and yet somehow she manages to come up with a completely different character. And, I mean, you know, if, you, if you're used to seeing Ms Gibney as uh, the mum in Packed to the Rafters, it's a bit of a shock to see a vibrator falling out of her luggage at Queenstown Airport in New Zealand and her sort of scooping it up and saying, oh, don't go anywhere without this. I mean, she's a bit of a... She's a bit of a party girl in this one, which is interesting. And then, of course, she gets down to New Zealand and ends up with a winery. And I thought that Under the Vines was really delightful. Yeah, look, I've got a bit of a different view. The um, All that was resonating through my mind during that first episode was your dictum about you've always got to watch two episodes. True. <laughs> And I've got to say, I just very disappointed by the opening. I thought it was just, it was so light. It was, it was a lot of slapstick. Um, it just, you know, I love the setup. I love the setup of uh, Rebecca Gibney's, Gibney as a Sydney socialite, yeah. uh, Ch- Charles Edwards as a sort of grumpy UK lawyer. They're thrown together unexpectedly as they inherit. Uh, a New Zealand winery. It looks like it's down in the South Island, somewhere near Queenstown, I think. Yeah, yeah. Looks a lovely spot. But it just didn't live up because I came in with quite high expectations. I thought, oh, this has got me written all over it. I'm just going to love this. But I just, that story was very clunky. All the setup, you know, that was just too obvious, a lot of the gags I just didn't think work. I kept thinking, oh, I wish Rebecca and Charles had a bit better material to yeah. work with. But then, you know, I persevered into episode two and it just sort of suddenly got a whole lot better. Oh, interesting. See, I haven't done episode two. And what's fascinating for me is that the show is set in a winery. And I thought to myself, oh, there's been a lot of shows about wineries and they have, but they're often shows about 
wine and there's mm. not hasn't been that many dramas or comedies set in a winery in fact i could find only two one a very short-lived american series called promised land and of course back in the 80s one of my favorite nighttime soaps was falcon crest okay. um i was such a fan i even went <laughs> to the actual winery north of san francisco <laughs> and i was so disappointed when i got there the grass was brown and i was oh, like no. this is the most arid place i've ever seen and they said we'll give you a little tip they actually spray painted the grass green whenever they were doing the show to make it look lush wow. uh so that's fascinating but look yeah I, I just really thought that Rebecca Gibney in particular elevated this material I thought that her character was really interesting and that sort of realization she came to that she is her life is pretty shallow so why <laughs> not stay in this you know this odd little New Zealand town with lots of crazy Kiwis all around her I mean all of that small town wacky stuff we've seen a hundred times before and we've seen that odd couple set up too the, mm. the stuffy british lawyer with the wild sydney girl i mean we have seen it all before but i really congratulate rebecca gibney because i think that she takes it makes it rises above all of that somewhat yeah well i i think by episode two i'm i'm on board with you but i just thought i just found it really hard to take i mean she's hobbling around the vineyard in a stilettos and I know. She, she finally makes it back. She walks, I don't know, from town or something all the way back to the winery in one scene. And as soon as she gets back to the winery, she takes off the stilettos and puts on her flats. Yes. No, don't you put them on at the start of the walk. I just, know that. Just little things. But then I guess that's a, that's a nod to her sort of dippy character, I guess. Correct. That, I think so. Know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, so she's good. I mean, Charles Edwards is pretty good as the grumpy UK lawyer. He was, um, he played Martin Charteris in The Crown. Yeah, he was very good, I thought, too, in that. A couple of seasons. And uh, it reminded me when I, I looked him up um, that Martin Charteris was the Queen's uh, private secretary for, I think, about five to seven years. Yep. But interestingly, during that time, it was he developed a a friendship through correspondence with John Kerr, the oh. the then oh. Governor General. You know, all the oh. details of those letters just came out recently. Yes, the palace letters that Jenny Whiting spent years and years fighting to get released and what a great job she did to finally get that correspondence out into the public domain. Yeah, so that's just an interesting aside. He was also in um, Downton Abbey, I think, too, for... Um, Quite quite a long time. Um, it's made by Libertine Pictures in partnership with EQ Media. I think Libertine's a New Zealand production house. EQ Media, I think, is just Australia-based now. They did have a setup in Canada. I'm not sure if they still do. Interestingly, the UK, the NZ production house Libertine, one of the partners is Neil Cross, a creative director who created Luther. Oh, interesting. Well, see, I looked at the credits and thought it was interesting that Brendan Dahl was in there as one of the executive producers. Brendan, of course, used to work at UK TV back in the day, went on to become head of programming at the yeah. ABC. And, of course, Rebecca Gibney's name is there as executive producer too, and I was really astounded and kind of thrilled to learn that she's been 
behind the scenes producing on her own projects since 1997 when she made Kangaroo Palace. So, you know, I'll take my hat off to her. That's uh, that's fantastic that she's, you know, been one of those trailblazers that are uh, a, f- a female trailblazer in that area behind the scenes. Yeah, I think Brendan runs EQ Media now and I think um, Rebecca's had an an executive producer role in most things she's done in the last yes. few years, I'm sure, I'm pretty sure anyway. Yeah, but, yeah, it was true. made originally for Acorn, uh, six eps in the first season. It's now coming to the ABC a year later. Interestingly enough, season two launches March 20 on Acorn. So if you if you really like this and the, you're desperate to watch the second season, you can probably jump onto Acorn. You get... Um, there's a seven-day free trial for Acorn. After that, you'll get slugged uh, $7 a month. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's kind of clever in a way. It's almost a, a cross-promotion uh, for those fans who really love the show. If they go looking for more information for a second series, uh, they'll know where to go. Yeah, but then you've got to think, though, oh, well, okay, if I wait, <laughs> the second series is probably going to come to the ABC too. So I'm not quite sure about that strategy of, streaming services, you know, letting shows go to free-to-air, yeah. especially when they're multi-series. Yeah. As it's, you know, I think Acorn's possibly a, a bit of a hard sell to a lot of people because it's it's a very niche um, streaming service. I'm sure it's got one of the, you know, if you look at the top 10 to 12 streaming platforms, in terms of membership, I'm sure it's down at the lower end. So you know, to- it's it's also it strikes me that it's it's sort of going after the same audience that BritBox is going after too. It's very you know, much. I think they're both going for that same sort of English TV show yeah. loving audience. Yeah, but I, I think their um, war chest for programming is probably a fair bit smaller than BritBox's. Huh? I would say so. Yeah. 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 Okay, but that's that's under the vine. So um, watch out for that Saturday nights ABC. Um, now, we we talked a lot, of, well, not a lot, but at least one episode last year was heavily focused around Marilyn Monroe, wasn't it? The, yeah. the 60th anniversary of her death. Um, I think it was Netflix, wasn't it, that did a a, um, a drama around her life that we, a lot of people were very unhappy with and neither of us liked it very much, did we? Yeah, and, and at the time I said I was so sick of male directors perpetuating this very tired now narrative of Marilyn Monroe, the victim, Marilyn Monroe getting raped, Marilyn Monroe being forced to have sex with the head of the studio, all of that. I thought Blonde was a ghastly movie. And yet we now have the antidote to that. And, in fact, as I watched the first episode last night, I was so thrilled that it was there. And I realised that I've kind of been waiting my entire life to see something like this because I would have become, you know, really, really fascinated by Marilyn Monroe in my 20s. And at the time there were a lot of books about her life. There was a Norman Mailer book. There were a bunch of biographies. uh, Her picture books were coming out, her sittings with Bert Stein. And I became really, really interested in her. And even back then I remember these reading these things and thinking, wow, wow, she was she was really ahead of her time in a lot of areas, and it, but it always gets lost in uh, she died by suicide, was found in the nude, all of that. What I love about reframed Marilyn Monroe, it is, it is absolutely all about 
the fact that she had a lot more control over her career than was given credit for. And they go back to her very, very beginnings and they uncover things like, we've got to stop saying that Marilyn Monroe slept her way to the top. Did she sleep with powerful men, men that can help her? Yes, she did. But she also said no to more powerful men. She said no to Harry Cohen, who was the head of Columbia Studios mm -hmm. at the time. He asked her to go on his yacht and she said, will your wife be there? And she got fired from the studio because of it. So, you know, it's really interesting. And Reframed Marilyn Monroe is a four-part series from CNN and it's all female commentators. There's actresses there like Joan Collins, uh, Ellen Burstyn, Mira Sorvino, but there's also film critics and authors like uh, Alicia Malone, uh, our Australian uh, author now who's writing a several books about women in film and is now one of the hosts of uh, Turner Classic Movies in the US. And they are all looking at this history and looking at her early film roles and looking at some of the decisions she made and going, look at this. Isn't this evidence that she was far more involved in her career than the patriarchy have given her credit for over the years? Yeah, it's a fascinating um, bit of work, isn't it? I've, I've only seen the first episode so far, but yeah, Mira Savino, Alan Burstyn, like you said, Joan Collins is there. Yes. She's she's great, and yeah, Alicia Malone really struck out to me as 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 one of the standout contributors. And wow, and it just reminded me of all the great work she did here before she left to, to go to the US. I think she worked at Seven for a number of years as a producer and, and you know, on, on a lot of different programs. And she hosted it for, I think it was the Movie Network yeah, for quite a while and did some red carpets for them. I yep. think put together a, a movie show. I think, was that around the same time you were doing yes, stuff? Yes, it was. For Showtime, which was, there were two big movie channels, yeah. weren't there? It was Showtime channels and movie network channels. Yeah, and for a brief time, I worked for both of them. You know, for a while I worked at Movie Network, she was a producer, and then I went to Showtime. Then she started going in front of the camera, and she ended up being in front of the camera on 7, I think on Sunrise and shows uh -huh. like that. But when the credit came up, or I, I heard her voice and went, that's an Australian voice, and she's yeah. had a bit of a hair colour change <laughs> since then. And then I looked closely and went, oh, my God, that is Alicia Malone. And so I Googled what books uh, she had written, and I'm so glad she's uh, doing so well over there. Gone over to Hollywood and found a real niche for herself, which is looking at, uh, you know, females in Hollywood, and, and that's a subject that's very kind of uh, now, and uh, I'm, I'm really pleased to see her doing so well. Yeah, look, if you want to know a bit more about her, look her up on IMDb. Click the bio. It's about the longest bio I've ever seen. <laughs> On IMDb, but it's so good. It just details everything she's achieved. So it's um it's fantastic, and yet and she really shines amongst all these other, uh, so, some of them quite big names. Other sort of I think Molly Haskell's there. Someone I I don't see much on screen, but she's well, she's put such a history of film and um in the past, and some other people that you might necessarily see on screen a lot, but you might know their name from um, reviews or things. Um, over the years. So, yeah, you can watch that on SBS. Um, on demand. And, you know, yeah. if I could ask for one streaming service to come to Australia, I would want that to be Turner Classic Movies, TCM. Okay. I think that 
Foxtel made a serious mistake when they dropped it from their platform. Because in the US at the moment, if you go to their website, TCM isn't just about old Hollywood films, which, by the way, there's still a market for, and, and no one really streams that here in Australia. So there's a market for that. But they've also really moved into the 1960s and the 1970s when filmmaking really, really changed. And there's some incredible films from the 60s and 70s that don't stream anywhere else except on TCM. So if Anyone was going to come to Australia and try and throw another, you know, streamer into the mix, I would want it to be TCM. Yeah, of course, yeah, they the channel pulled out of Australia a good few years ago now, but um, and I guess that was done because of ratings because it just – but that was a different time, wasn't it? Um, on, on demand hadn't become the, the thing that it is now where, you know, possibly so many more people are watching on demand as opposed to live TV and um, – so it was. Um, I think the offering would do a lot better now, and it'd be a real asset if a, a streaming service could, you know, do some sort of deal with that. I think you would attract a lot of people because the idea of having such a treasure trove of Hollywood classics, yeah, I think would motivate a lot of people to think, oh, I should have that as part of my subscription package. And and those caches of old Hollywood films that Foxtel have or Seven Two occasionally, there's there's honestly it's just the same old movies that are going round and round for decades now. Mm. You know, I could mm. almost pick for you what's going to be on Fox <laughs> Classics at eight thirty at night because they've screened so many times. You know, it, it there's really really is a place to bring in some more classic movies into Australia. Yeah, and then free to wear, you can almost, you know, the same. There's a very short rotation for what gets on the Saturday night movies, isn't yeah, it? You know, yeah. The same old things keep cropping up. Now, look, also on SBS, new series launched this week as we record this called The Swap. Yeah. Now, I found this really confronting, James. Yeah, I found it pretty compelling. I love the setup. But look, if I'd, if I'd just tuned in and didn't know much about it, I would have thought it was an ad for a school. At the start, because yeah. it was initiated by a, a place called, I think, the Islamic College of Brisbane. Yep. And a guy there who was the principal pushed for this and he thought it would be, um, you know, people would learn stuff of it and it would be very, I, I guess, helpful. Um, and it's been fascinating for me. I've, I've watched that first episode and the um, and I bet there's some a lot more interesting stuff to come. But tell us what happens. Well, I mean, uh, I think the the CEO of that Islamic college said it took him 12 months to convince the parents at the school that this would be a good idea because, you know, they are, it, it is a very sort of closed group. They, they talk in the show about how many of these kids come from very sheltered families where uh, the parents, uh, you know, really strictly monitor their movements and that there were huge concerns about there being a program where, you know, kids from the Catholic school system and the public public school system would come into this college to see how they do things. And then this group of kids that are part of the experiment are going to go out into the wider world and probably go to their homes and their schools. And, you know, it's really, really fascinating to see, you know, 
teenage kids, one kid who identifies as, a, as an atheist, going into this very, very religious school. Um, you know, it, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's as much about religion as it is about the school system for me. Um, and, and I, I agree with, uh, the man who started this program. You know, we have to learn to get along. We have to overcome cliches and perceptions we have, uh, uh, misconceptions we have about people that are different to us. And any program like this is a good thing. And any TV show that strives to do some good in the world, whether it's this show, The Swap, or it's Old People's Home for four-year-olds and teenagers. I mean, these shows have really positive feel-good results at the end of them. And, you know, I wish that commercial TV was more interested in making these sorts of shows instead of leaving them to the public broadcasters, which uh, seems to be what happens these days. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought it was really good and I'm, I'm interested to see um, how it goes. It was made by Southern Pictures, sort of a pretty much, a, I think, a documentary outfit here in Australia. They made, um, I think, both recent series of Miriam Margulies's, uh docos she filmed in Australia. Yeah, which were great. They, yeah, they were behind them. Interesting. Look, I watched this on demand and I'm just wondering, I, there were, I got a gambling ad in the middle of it and I'm just saying that's probably because did they know I was watching and, and so it was targeted at me, but I'm, I'm guessing you're not supposed to show gambling ads to younger people. There's Who are some watching sort. a show about teenagers at school. Yeah, so, but I could have been watching it with some younger kids, well, I don't know. But Did you get any New South Wales political ads for yeah, the upcoming that was, election? that were the other ads, so it was gambling yeah. and the New South Wales Labor Party. Well, you know what? I saw exactly the same ads on SBS On Demand, and you and I don't live in the same city, but we do both live in Newcastle, in uh, New South New Wales. South Wales. Um, yeah. and, but, you know, I've been hearing, there's been a, a few people chatting re uh, recently about how the ads on SBS World Movies uh, uh, have been uh, dropping into movies in really inappropriate places, sometimes yeah. mid-scene, go to an ad break. And, and, you know, those viewers are saying, please, 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 could we run all the ads in a block at the end of the movie, um, uh, in between the movies rather than breaking up the action? But, yeah, SBS uh, On Demand, that is a great service with a uh, ton of great shows to to watch but the ads that interrupt the action are often very distracting yeah i can't remember the movie but there was a filmmaker who said the other week she couldn't watch her movie on sbs because yeah she was she it was the australian movie sleeping beauty that's so it. whoever the yeah. director of that was she had taken real exception to the ad breaks when the movie was screening on SBS World Movies. Yeah, yeah, indeed, indeed. Okay, so, yeah, watch out for that one. Uh, that's the swap. Look, we'll finish up with um, Ted Lasso, Season 3. Gee, they've pumped out a lot of episodes of this Apple TV. Look, I was a late a late adopter of, and I've got to say, I think I said it on our podcast when it first launched, well, I, I didn't really get it, you know. I, I didn't enjoy it. I went back to it a second time, enjoyed it more. But to be honest, I haven't progressed past season one. Really? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've got a confession to make. I forgot to watch the season three premiere because season three is about to premiere on Apple TV+. Plus. Yeah. Um, 
I remember watching it with, uh, I had some flatmates at the time and we watched it during COVID lockdown and it was one of our highlights to watch <laughs> together because, again, this is the really feel-good show. Ted Lasso is this sort of eternal optimist, uh, an American who's brought in, uh, brought in actually by a bitter ex-wife to run a soccer team into the ground. <laughs> but, of course, he's got such a lovely attitude to life. He ends up winning over the team. He ends up winning over the uh, woman who's now managing the team. But, you know, at the end of Series 2, that uh, happy facade of Ted Lasso was starting to crack, um, <laughs> and I could, I, I, and I think that series three is going to go into some darker territory here. Um, okay. But look, it's a great show. I'm a big fan of it, and I know that there's a lot of people around the world who love this show and deservedly so. Yeah. I love uh, Hannah Waddington's great in there as the fabulous as the sort of team owner who brings in um, Jason Sudeikis. Um, yep. But of course, and someone we both love, uh, Juno Temple. Oh, he oh. has a great role in this. And of course, she did that great work in the offer uh, yep. last year. Yep, she's so gorgeous in it. And what's the name of the sweary guy in it? The guy who's always, he's got the niece and he's always F this and F that in, in front of her. Yeah, it's a great, great, great show. So <laughs> many funny characters in it. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it is. It's really good. A um, couple of quick things to finish on before I let you go. The um, Now, Daisy Jones and the Six, we talked yeah. about. Oh, the last week or the week before? Last week, yep. Yeah, okay, and we talked about the music and it's taken off, hasn't it? It's amazing. It's become the first ever fictional band to top the iTunes chart in iTunes history. And, of course, iTunes hasn't been around forever. I think if we went back in history, we'd probably discover that the Monkees topped the chart back in the day, even though they weren't a real band. And I think maybe the Partridge family might have had a, okay. I don't know whether they had a number one album, but I'm pretty sure they had a number one single with uh, I Woke Up In Love This Morning. So, you know, and what's, as we talked about it last week, Daisy and the, Daisy Jones and the Six, the actors learnt to play their own instruments during the COVID shutdown and they are actually a real band now and there's now talk, given the success of the album from the fictional band, that the fictional band might actually go out on a real tour and play <laughs> stadiums using the actors. So wouldn't that be incredible? Because I think in the end, the monkeys learnt to play their instruments and play their own music, and they went out and, and did the same thing, and for years and years afterwards. Yeah, that's incredible. So, yeah, look, Daisy Jones and the Six, that's on... Um, Amazon Prime. Prime, that's it. That's yeah. it. I was also pleased to hear this week that Daniel Lewis is coming back to Billions. Oh, so yeah, that, your favourite. Damien Lewis, you mean? Uh, sorry, da Damien Lewis, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Coming back, a new season. I don't think they've got a date yet, but it's expected I relatively soon, I think. And, of course, that maybe as many as four spin-offs. <laughs> I'll believe that when I see it. It's a, of the spin-offs? Was it trillions or millions they were going to do as a spin-off? Yeah, yeah it's amazing. <laughs> that's amazing. I'll believe it when I see it, though. But you've got to think, if he's coming back for half of the new season, what are the chances he's going to get pushed into one of the spin-offs? Oh, that would be smart, it's, wouldn't it? It's, it's got to happen, sure. Yeah, yeah, that would be really, really smart. Yeah, that would be very clever. All right, so, look, we'll finish up. Program of the week, 
I struggled this week. I've got to say, the, you know, the refrain was great. The swap is great. Um, and, you know, I thought, can I give it to Under the Vines? I really didn't like that first episode. But, you know, I think I've got to give it to that. Okay. Know, because it's it's come good for me in the second um, second series. You know, there's 10 more episodes if I want to get into it. It's set in a picturesque place in New Zealand. How bad can it be? Yeah, exactly. Well, look, I'm, I have to give it to reframed Marilyn Monroe. You know, I watched two episodes last night. I'm going to watch the next two, and then I'm probably going to watch it again so that that information is really embedded in me. I was so thrilled and happy last night, uh, and it really got me thinking about when I first started studying about Marilyn Monroe and how I've always wanted to see this show. I've literally waited my whole life to watch it. So reframed Marilyn Monroe, SBS On Demand gets my pick. But, you know, given we're talking about cinema, I do want to throw one thing out there about the Academy Awards next Monday. TV Tonight uh, picked up something really interesting, which is the Academy Awards will not be screening live in Brisbane, Adelaide and Perth because of different time zones. And the only way if you live in one of those places or one of those states to watch the Academy Awards live and really how what why else would you do anything else but watch it live and be on that social media, you know, discussion that goes on around the world at the same time. You've got to watch it on 7 plus, okay? So, you know, I'm I'm kind of disappointed in 7 that They've got the rights to the Academy Awards and they don't consider it important enough to drop a couple of hours of the morning show so that it can run live on their network all across Australia. I mean, seriously, you can't lose a couple of hours worth of advertorial revenue to run the biggest award show in the world live for your viewers. Come on. Anyway, at least they've given us an an option on 7 Plus for the Academy Awards next week, the 95th Oscars, James. Yeah, look, I don't think that's as big a deal as you do because, look, if you live in Western Australia, you're used to, you know, you're used to stuff coming in at the time, equivalent time that it goes out. Like in the US, if you're on the East or West Coast, the times are delayed often. But but I guess you do make exceptions when there's big, big events, yeah. and this is probably one of them. But America, the East and the West Coast, watch the Academy Awards at the same time. There's not yeah. a three-hour delay no. for the, yeah. you know, it's Yeah, like yeah, you make when, allowances, don't you, like for Super Bowl or whatever it is. Yeah. I mean, seriously, last year Will Smith slapped Chris Rock. <laughs> I mean, remember what happened to social media? Do you, do you really not want to be in on that conversation? I don't know who's going to slap who this year. Hopefully nobody. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's an event. If you're really into the Academy Awards, people take the day off work, James, to yeah. watch this serious cinema fans and you gotta watch it live yeah just reminded me too have you watched the chris rock netflix special that no that we- is it up oh mate you've got to go and have a look at that oh god i will i will yeah it went out live it was their first live i think telecast at, wow. at netflix and i just happened to stumble across it um i, I didn't think it had a lot of pre-publicity here yeah, um, and I stumbled across it on Sunday because I think it went out Saturday night in the US, and it's just amazing. You could tell it was people go oh, if you watch it on demand, what's the difference? But it does have a live feel about it. He looks very apprehensive. He's he's taking, but you know he's very reactive to the feedback from the audience, and then of course he just unloads on Will Smith. 
Wow. In the last probably 15, 10 to 15 minutes. And it's wow. just incredible. Wow. Wow. Oh, yeah. No, thank you for that tip. I will seek that out. Yeah. So that's on Netflix. All righty. Thank you, Andrew. We'll do it again in uh, seven days. You betcha. Have a great week, James.